Welcome to Clued Up with Maria B., the behind-the-scenes photography podcast. Clued Up is your insider's view to building successful magazine-style photo shoots. We talk design and concept, fashion and style, tech, social media, and of course, business, plus so much more, including how to avoid common photography pitfalls. You'll also meet some special guests who work behind the camera and in front of the lens. Whether you're an aspiring photographer, a portrait photographer thinking about starting your own business, or you just have an interest in what it takes to plan and execute professional shoots, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Maria B. Now let's get you clued up. Hey everybody, it's Maria coming to you with this week's episode of Clued Up, the behind the scenes photography podcast. This week's episode is entitled, Let There Be Light, Sunlight, Ambient Light, Flash, or Strobes. In today's episode, I'm going to talk to you about light. Now you may ask, what does this have to do with behind the scenes? Well, in photography, light is everything how you see it, how you manipulate it, how you block it. This isn't going to be an instructional episode. I found that when it comes to light and the technical aspects, you sort of have to ease into it if you'd like people to learn it and learn it well. Today, I'm going to talk to you about using different types of light and what I consider the most important thing, which is the struggle to learn to use artificial light. Let me start by telling you why understanding light is so important to photography beyond the obvious. Your ability to manipulate light impacts your photography. It determines a great deal about your style. Do you shoot more toward dark and moody or are you more of a light and airy type of shooter? Do you like to convey a natural light look even though you're in a photography studio? If you are a dark and moody type of shooter, how do you manipulate light if you're shooting in a studio? You never stop learning about light as long as you are in photography, whether you are a pro, semi-pro, enthusiast, or a hobbyist. Light is to photography what the ocean is to a cup of water. It is never ending, it's expansive, and it's ever growing. Let me start by saying, learn to love light, all types of light. From the light that comes in through a window filtered by a curtain, to the light that's on your smartphone. If you learn to love all types of light, Learning lighting for photography becomes more of a game or a puzzle or even an adventure than a stressor you feel you have to deal with. When I started my photography journey, I had no understanding of light or lighting. Like most people with a camera, I only saw something as well lit or not well lit. Being brand spanking new, I had little understanding of how to manipulate camera settings to control light. To make matters worse, I knew I needed flash, so I bought one only to be completely overwhelmed when I opened up the manual that to me seemed to have been written in another language, TTL, EV, third of a stop, etc. When I wanted to take a photo and needed light, I would just 
pop that flash on top of the camera and fire away. Then I changed settings, still not really knowing what I was doing, and fire away some more. To say my photos were bad would be a really kind understanding. Out of frustration, I did what many people do, and I put away the flash and became a quote-unquote natural light shooter. In my case, what that meant was I didn't know how to use flash. What it also really meant was I was stuck taking photos that were simple and didn't tell a story. Now that's not a totally bad thing. So for example, a photo of a kid on a swing is still a cute photo. But combined with a lack of knowledge of how to make that kid really stand out as the focus of the photo, and because I wasn't good at manipulating settings or manipulating light, the photo was just another cute photo. When I decided to get serious about portraits, I enrolled in a course in photography and editing. I've talked about this before. It was not a course that in retrospect I'm happy with, but I credit that course with turning around my relationship with light and lighting, or at least the start of a change in my relationship with light. There was one Saturday we were supposed to have a class about manipulating light. Actually, the instructor let us out early just out of his frustration because we really didn't know enough about settings to move on to a higher level discussion about light. We had been instructed to bring our camera and flash, but we never got to shoot. The instructor suggested that we go home and learn more about camera settings and flash settings. And in the future, he would just repeat the class. Well, this happened to be the Saturday of the Women's March in Washington, D.C. and other major cities across the country. When I exited the building from the class in New York City, I exited into a sea of people on a major New York Avenue. I'd never seen anything like this before. Of course, I got my camera out and started shooting. The day was cloudy and I thought, if there was ever a day to use flash, this is it. I put the flash on the camera, in particular because a man had climbed a lamp pole and was holding up this sign that stated he was marching, he was here, marching for his daughter. I was okay with camera settings by that time, although not really good with flash settings. In that moment, I took a photo that actually looked like it was some, like I was some sort of photojournalist. Okay, I admit I was it was sort of by accident, but in that moment I understood the power of flash or more accurately, the power of light. No pun intended, but a light bulb went on. Not only was I no longer afraid of using flash, but I embraced as anyone should that my failure with light, particularly artificial light, was part of the journey of learning to manipulate light for better photography. My resistance only posed obstacles to learning something of immeasurable value to this craft. And for most people, that's what it comes down to, their fear. Sorry to offend, but when people tell me they're a natural light shooter, I know whether they admit it to themselves or not, They're afraid of learning how to manipulate light. A few months ago, I took an online course with Two Man University. That's Erica and Lanny Mann. And a fair portion of the course was dedicated to talking about light because so many of us have problems with light and lighting. 
seeing it, not seeing it, and especially manipulating it. As a photographer, when you walk into a room or walk onto a set or walk into a studio, the first thing you have to do is survey the light, the quality of the light and the type of light that's available to you. It's the same thing if you're shooting outdoors. Is it bright and sunny, cloudy? Is there shade? Is the light coming from a, re- a reflective source? For example, is your source of light the reflection of the sun off of a building? Always look for the light and always look for the dark because it so strongly complements the light. By starting with surveying the light or surveying your lighting situation, you can begin to figure out how to manipulate the light, handle it, use it, or problem solve for it. Here's an example. A few years ago, a friend asked me to photograph her baby shower. The venue was an Italian restaurant. I walked into the room to find it had very poor lighting. Okay, obviously I knew we were going to be indoors and I'd have to use flash. I had figured out I'd just bounce flash off of the walls or off of the ceiling. When I walked into the room, however, I looked up at the ceiling and it was metal. Bronze colored metal. Two words came to my mind that I can't repeat on this podcast. So I look at the walls. The walls were half ugly, white, off beige, dark color, and wood panel. The same two words came to mind again. Okay, now I have a problem I need to solve. I'm not sure my solution was the best solution, but it helped the situation. I took out my color checker and took a few photos to make sure I at least photographed a solid neutral gray from the color checker card. Once the gray card photographed well with good exposure, I figured I would use those settings as my base settings. I would then add flash, on-camera flash, just to help subjects stand out from the background. My reasoning was that when time came to upload my photos, I would be able to sync the photos to a good, proper white balance based on the gray card, eliminating the bronze or dark tones of the room. For the most part, this worked. There were some photos that required more manipulation than others, but for the most part, it actually worked out well. Thank goodness, right? By the way, here's a side note. This is one of the advantages of showing up very early to a venue if you've never been there before. I'm not sure I would have had the time to figure out a solution had I not arrived at this venue pretty early. Here's another scenario from a few years ago. I was asked to photograph an engagement shoot for a couple. They both have difficult schedules, so the only time that actually worked out as being available for them was a Saturday morning. We were supposed to start at 10 a.m. and didn't end up starting until 11. We were victims of harsh sunlight on a beautiful fall day, so I did my best to use the sun to backlight the couple. However, even before we started, the guy said to me, they always have a problem in photographs because he tends to appear very pale 
and his fiancée, who's African, appears dark. I didn't find the range of their skin tones to be a problem. The sun, however, played a factor in positioning them for photos, especially since I was alone and did not have an assistant to hold a flash so I could use it to overpower the sun. This is a topic for a future episode. I also didn't have someone to hold a reflector to help throw light back into their faces since the sun was behind them. I managed to find some areas of the park with open shade and to position them in such a way that they were either backlit or sidelit by the sun. Lighting demands problem solving and manipulation even when you're in familiar surroundings. When I walk into my studio, I look at where the sun is in relation to my windows and survey if at the time we're shooting, I'd be able to take some natural light photos or a combination of natural light with a touch of artificial light before surrendering to using only strobes. So for clarity, let me define a few things. These are my definitions and my definitions only. And I freely admit that at times I unintentionally interchange terms, although I try not to. Natural light. My definition of natural light is any non-electrical light. For example, the sun, the sun coming in through a window, the sun coming in through a window filtered by a curtain, the light or small amount of light in a dark cave. The point is that it's non-electrical or it's non-human generated light. Ambient light. Ambient light is the light that's in a room or on a set, or it can be the light outside. It's the light of the environment you're in. It can be natural, or it can be artificial, or it can be a combination of the two. Right now, I'm sitting in a room that's a combination of the sun coming through a window and light from a lamp. That's the ambient light of the room. Sunlight. I know it goes without saying. No definition needed for that. However, sometimes it's important to make the distinction between direct sunlight and filtered sunlight. Sunlight that passes through some type of filter, such as I mentioned before, a curtain, or let's say the slats on um, a window shade. Artificial light. I define artificial light as an entire category of any type of light that's essentially not natural light or light that's created by some artificial means. Flash. When I use the term flash, what I should really say is speed light. And as you already know, it's that artificial light source that provides a burst of light while you're photographing. Speed lights for non-photographers are the light units that you place on top of your camera, especially if you'd like a bad photo of someone. I'm being a little facetious here because you can take good photos with on-camera flash as it's the darling of the paparazzi and of red carpet events. Outside of the paparazzi, however, this light source is best used by bouncing the light off of a wall or off of the ceiling to avoid direct light on your subject, be that subject a person or an object. 
off-camera flash. In my world, off-camera flash has two meanings. The first is when you remove the flash from on the top of your camera and put it on a light stand or ask someone to hold it for you. You position the person holding the light or the light stand in such a way that it produces a more flattering effect on your subject than when the speed light sits on top of your camera. Side note, some cameras come with built-in flash. Don't waste your time. Another side note, some cameras do not come with a hot shoe mount. That's the part of the camera where a flash or speed light is held. And this implies that if artificial light is needed, the source must then be off-camera flash. For me, off-camera flash also includes the next lighting source, strobes. Technically speaking, any artificial source of light is a strobe. However, when I use the word strobe, I am referring to those large, powerful artificial light sources frequently seen in studios. Think of them as mega flash used in combination with modifiers. Modifiers are tools that further help you to control and manipulate light. These are often used in studios as they offer photographers the most control in lighting based on settings, camera settings, positioning, and use of reflectors to increase the light, or flags or some other source to block light and decrease lighting. A subcategory of strobes includes constant lights. So think of strobes, but instead of there being a fraction of a second of light, the light is constant. Lastly, there's a wide array of light sources not covered here that fit into one or more categories. For example, the light on a smartphone is an artificial light that many people use to light up a scene or just to light up a face in photography, especially night photography. A flashlight can also be considered a light source. There's the light that's emitted from a fire or from a candlelight, and you, consider, you can consider those natural light. You can also consider anything that reflects light a source of light, such as a piece of foam core, polyboard, or styrofoam. In these cases, while they may not be the original source of light, the fact that they reflect light makes them a light source. It's easy to know or recognize a light source, but that's different from seeing the light, which could be a little bit more complicated. As I stated earlier, you not only have to see light, but you also have to see the shadows or the dark since the two work together and complement each other. They both affect your photo and they both tell the story. I'll continue to discuss light in future episodes as we ease our way into deeper discussions about this topic. Light is probably the most dominant issue behind the scenes of your photography. Your ability to use the light you have, be it your phone's light, flash on or off your camera, strobes and reflectors, all of these in combination with your camera settings and adjustments are integral part of your photography. Till next time. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Clued Up with me, your host, Maria B. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. I really appreciate your support. When you rate, subscribe, and review, you're also helping other listeners find and enjoy this podcast. Until next time.